Hey there, I'm Joanne Tambrakis, and this is Marketing, Mindfulness, and Martinis. Unfiltered conversations, or as I like to say, opinions shaken, not stirred, on what's changing and what's not in business and in life as we enter into the next normal. So pour yourself your beverage of choice, and let's get to it. One of the gifts of my professional life has been when business relationships evolve into friendships, which is the case with my guest today, also my friend, Nadina Guglielmetti, who is currently the Vice President and General Manager of Marketing at The Vitamin Shop, a national retailer with over 780 retail locations, in addition to their very healthy online business. With so much changing so fast in digital marketing, I wanted to have a conversation about the state of social media with someone who I consider to have been an early adopter and who really understands what has happened in the past and is happening today and maybe give us some insights into what's happening in the future. The first person who came to mind is Nadina, who was on an early episode of this podcast in the heart of the pandemic, episode number 11. Today, we don't talk about the pandemic, but we do cover a lot, from TikTok to Twitter to Lemonade and YouTube shorts. We discuss how privacy legislation affects the efficacy of digital advertising, AI's potential impact, and reputation management. So put in your earbuds and take this one on a walk and enjoy. Nadina, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for asking me to come back. It's been too long personally and professionally, so this is terrific. So, but I'm not going to start with my usual question, which I always like to ask my guests of where you're from, because that answer lies way back in episode number 11, which I cannot believe you're one of my early, early guests when you were first on the podcast, which I also can't believe was in December of 2020. Before we do get started on the topic du jour, which is the state of social media, can you just tell our listeners a little bit about what you do? Yes, I oversee marketing for the retailer, the Omni retailer, the Vitamin Shop. We are based in the U.S. We have about 700 stores. We have a very healthy online, offline business. And by overseeing marketing, that means everything from understanding our customer, customer journey, customer data to CRM, digital marketing, any awareness efforts that we do across the board. So media buying, performance marketing, all of that fits in my world. So so when I invited you back, again, my idea was to talk about the state of social media because I've known you. I can't believe I've known you for 10 years now. And as someone who I consider to be a digital pioneer, I thought that your insight and experience would make for a good conversation since you, like myself, were early adopters of social media back when we thought it was only good. So what do you think have been the biggest changes in the evolution of the platforms? And you can speak to that in general and specifically to brands using it for marketing, because I think there's probably two different answers in there, but maybe not. Well, I mean, you know, when social first, well, first of all, Twitter was really the first big platform that I used for influencing conversation or advertising. It was a pioneer 
in many ways. And it also had a great conversion with media. And at that time I was working within a PR agency. So Twitter started everything. And then, you know, Facebook very quickly after. Most of the changes that I've seen is a lot of these platforms have thicker walls around them now. It's harder to, some of it's because of privacy changes. It's harder to target your customers and it's harder to pull out data from those platforms and manipulate. So so every platform has kind of created walls around them. And that's that's certainly something that's happened over time and it's gotten more and more aggressive. There's also been a pro- proliferation of platforms. You have Twitter now, sorry, TikTok, which we were early adopters in TikTok as well, which is a fun platform. You have Lemonade that's coming up uh, after TikTok. I'm still a big fan of whether you really think about them as social platforms or or more discovery boards. I love Reddit and some of these sort of platforms as well. There's a lot out there to help marketers either create more discovery of their products and business or connect to their consumers. And they're they're very, very useful tools and they absolutely still have a critical role in how marketers advertise. When you, when you were talking about thicker walls, can you talk a little bit more about that? Because you said about pulling data out. And I think we all think from the outside that that is the key on social media for marketers is the amount of data that we can get on our customers. Yeah, we, you really can't target as well as you used to. So because of the privacy changes that have come into play, first in California, and they've sort of been spreading across the states and certainly in Europe, if you're have more of an international role, it's it's harder to let the platforms know who you're targeting and who you want to target. The, the way you match back and identify your customers is not as crisp. And you, 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 you start, I've started seeing it in the data. What we get out of the platforms is not as effective as it used to be from an advertising perspective. And in addition to that, the platforms you used to be able to, and I'm thinking of like back in the day when you had Sprinkler and all of these other tools, there was always a better fire hose where you could scrape data from the platforms and better understand behavior. That's very limited now. And you really have to go ask the platforms or just look within your own customers to understand what's happening. We're lucky because we are a retailer. We have a lot of first-party data. So I'm not data-hungry about what my customers are doing. But as we advertise in those platforms, really getting a sense of what's effective, who I'm targeting, am I targeting effectively, am I getting to the right people, it's become harder. Again, partially because of the privacy laws, partially because... Facebook used to play better with Google. They don't play as well anymore. So there, there's more limitation even between inter-platform relationships. It's it's all much more closed. So you have to look at all of these tools a little separately. Separately. And, and you talked about first-party data. Do you think that that's a direction a lot of brands? I mean, from where I sit, I think that that has always been important, but will have increased relevancy as we get into the elimination of the third-party cookies and what you're talking about. Do you think yeah. that the brands need to put more emphasis on that? Absolutely. I think retailers already have because, again, we have, we're lucky we have a good chunk, 80% of our customers are in our loyalty program, which means I can actually, they, our customers have opted into allowing me to see who they are, 
to message to them, to market to them. So I have a really rich database of information. And we also append data from external providers to get an even better understanding of who our customers are. So we are in a great position where we can constantly add more first-party data to our database. But if you're a brand that doesn't have a brick and mortar or you don't have a, a expansive loyalty program the way we do, you're going to have to rely on third parties to help you understand who your customers are, whether you're, you're buying into some of the publisher networks and the data they provide, or if you're doing different tests with advertisers that can expose data. It's just, it's a lot harder. We are, we can stitch together behavior in a way that brands can't. And and we're also able to give brands information about even their consumers, and especially if they sell with us, that they can't do alone. So we're in a, in a great position when it comes to data and understanding our consumers. So you said you were an early adopter of TikTok with the vitamin shop. We were, you know, we went TikTok first. I don't even know what year this was, several years ago. And <laughs> actually around the pandemic, maybe just before when TikTok came into the world <laughs> and, you know, I started playing with it. I, as I'm sure a lot of people had a lot of time, I was noticing how entertaining it is and sticky like you can spend hours on tiktok unbelievable the algorithm is phenomenal it's it's phenomenal. it really is so we started advertising there first as a test of is this a platform where we can get some engagement from consumers what kind of click-throughs do we have and i they didn't really have a great ad tool yet Mm -hmm. we we went in we started advertising and then we opened up our own community on tiktok and we have incredible success and we even see a often better click-through rates from TikTok than other channels, even better conversion from TikTok to us. And at times when things are trending, even outside of what we're trying to achieve, the tra- we see traffic spikes that we can correlate to trends on TikTok. So TikTok for retailers and our category, because I'm sure it's not every category, has been an incredibly interesting tool. What worries me about TikTok, obviously, is the China effect. <laughs> what will happen to TikTok? You know, I hate, you know, we always say we can't put all our eggs there because, which we don't, because we're not really sure what's going to happen and where's, you know, it will TikTok be banned or will it be limited or will changes happen? So we do watch and are very careful about not overly investing and looking to other places to invest. So that we're not just relying on one channel and, and you know, t- speaking to customers just in one place. We want to make sure our customers can find us in other places as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I still can't imagine a universal ban in this country on TikTok, I, but I could be wrong. And I totally get the China aspect of it. But so much of what they're saying about TikTok is being bad is not necessarily, it's not specific to TikTok. A lot of that stuff, the the way young girls are being influenced, and it's not the types of stuff that you're advertising, obviously, because it's vitamins, but that's happening on all the social channels, as is privacy issues. But again, you've got the China, the China factor. I, I think it's the concern is less, it's even for me, it's less about like our data is everywhere. So I'm actually less concerned about the data piece for TikTok. Mm-hmm. 
because Americans are pretty open with data and how people access our data. Mm, crazy. The concern for me is more, which I would agree with some of the concern is around political influence mm -hmm. and uh, having a government influence what's essentially almost a media platform what people see. I mean, it's why we don't, you know, government or external governments can't own a newspaper in this country, but yet they can own TikTok and have that similar influence. And that's where I think there's concerns is that it's, these platforms are incredibly influential. These algorithms are, you can manipulate the algorithm and what, what content is being served is that to the best interest of our public and who's, who's guiding that decision. So that's, I would agree that that's a concern. We should be concerned my kids are not on TikTok, <laughs> so I'm waiting to see, you know, how the platform evolves. And I think there's already a lot of platforms out there that have sometimes negative influence on, on children. So TikTok is not one of them that they're allowed to have. And do you think there's ways around that for kids, though? I mean, you are a mom, so you've got your, it's a, you're a marketer, but you're also a mom who's got an involvement in that. I mean, I, I, I keep thinking that they can figure out ways around anyone who's blocking them there. Um, so I actually, on, on their phone, they can't download an app unless I approve it. At this point, my son at one point, and I'm maybe oversharing, did download <laughs> Instagram without us knowing. He got around it. He did it on a desktop versus his phone. We did catch him and it was gone. Um, and that was years ago. So years and years ago where he, he was clever enough to figure it out because everybody wants to, it's a social connection mm -hmm. with their friends. So, so we do monitor what, I, and I think it's important for parents to monitor social platforms. I don't think they're always the best influence for children. So it's, it's, oh, no, I, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. I think that's another part of this whole social media, which hopefully we'll get into a little bit here today is how it's impact society, but there's also our role in it. You know, what are we doing? And if we have children, how are we monitoring that to, to help mitigate some of, some of the downside? So you're still on Twitter. If I checked, I can't get on Twitter. I can't get on Twitter because I, I deactivated my account back in November and I will go on record as saying that I don't miss it one little bit, except when I have to go do some research and I can only get so far. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I would say I'm a, I've always been a, a little bit of a voyeur on Twitter. I was much more active years and years ago mm -hmm. than I am today. I do look around. I find it less interesting and confusing and now with the blue checks and, you know, what's happening there, I, it's even more confusing. I am a bit saddened because I Me think too. Twitter was such a great, vibrant community of news and journalists. I always felt it was more of a, a media platform than anything else than a community. So it's, it's, it's sad and disappointing. But I do go in. I do look around. I do. If there's certain topics that I'm interested in or news and breaking news. I'll always go in there and, and see what's trending around that, the breaking news. It's a really great way to get quick updates, but that's really about it. I I find it unfortunate. Yeah. I, I do, you, do you think he can fix it? I don't know because it's been very heavily damaged. Maybe. I think Elon Musk has fixed a lot of things and he's very smart, obviously, I, I would hate to say no, because putting a rocket in space means you're fixing a lot of things to get it out there. So I can imagine he's got a lot of smart people thinking about how to improve this platform from the outside. So I only have an external view because I actually don't know anybody in TikTok mm -hmm. today. 
it seems very chaotic with how they strip back employees and culture and how decisions seem to be made. That doesn't seem a very productive way to move a company or business forward. So I, I have a lot of doubts. That being said, you never know. It's still there. It's, I'm shocked it's still running with the few people they have. So it's, it is still running without too many hiccups. So who knows? You know, you never say never. There's, it's always yeah. possible that it, it gets back to a, mm-hmm. a clear vision to get it back on track that would make it interesting for either a marketer to step in or a, a viable place for me to want to go on there and have conversations with people, which I don't do. No, I don't either. I, I kind of feel it's like Humpty Dumpty, like, you know, all the king's horses and all the king's men, whatever, however that goes, couldn't put it back together again. I'm not sure that it's, I think he's damaged it so much. So we, but again, I'm not, you know, I don't know what else is going on there. But I also see, again, where there's so many more social platforms. You know, I've used this analogy before because I had a long stint in cable where you started out with just a few cable networks that were kind of ruling the roost. And now I don't even know how many cable channels exist. Not that they're all profitable, but you see that happening. And now, as you spoke to before, Lemonade, which I think is looks like a very interesting platform, but you've you started to look at that already? We're looking because we have to understand <laughs> how how are our customers engaging with it. We haven't done anything with Lemonade. It's also, I believe it's also part of ByteDance. So. It is, it is. That's what, that's what's interesting that people are talking about it as a TikTok competitor, but yet it's still part of the same company. So, so I, I don't, the same issues. I, I don't know if they're thinking of it in a way to solve some of the data issues and transference of customers. Maybe there's more walls around Lemonade than I, I really don't understand the, it feels very similar to TikTok as well. When I've gotten in there and looked like, I don't necessarily see a huge difference, but I need to spend more time. So certainly looking at it in terms of this is where people are influencers are jumping on there. They're talking about it across channels. So we mm-hmm. absolutely want to make sure we understand what it is and if it's something that we should be paying attention to, but we haven't really done anything with it yet. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens. It's hard to keep up anymore. I used to jump on every time a new social platform was out there, I would jump on just to test it out. And now it's just too exhausting. So sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't, but I do, I am on TikTok, but I don't, I've never posted anything. I'm completely I, there as a, as one a post. consumer. Did you really? I, I'm a I consumer. do. I did a video. I did a video. It's actually really cute. It's a video of my dog. <laughs> So if you want to, maybe two videos, two videos, two dog uh, videos. I'll have to go, I'll have to go. People follow me all the time. I think, I don't know why you're following me. This and there's no activity here, but so social media has also really impact society, both positively and negatively. So as a brand, does this spread of misinformation and disinformation on these platforms have, do, do you consider anything about that when you're doing your planning? You touched a little bit on the privacy affecting the data before, but not really, because it, from a brand reputation perspective, we work closely f- with the media. If you know, if we want need to have news articles, we have a great PR team that handles our brand reputation. And then from a customer perspective, we work within the platforms. We always ask questions about data, data privacy. We want to make sure the platforms are adhering the the guidelines that we consider important to legally and to our us. So we every year we ask for updates on data, data use. So so that's kind of the, the way we look at these platforms. Where we sometimes have concerns is we're a health and wellness company and we actually 
do scrub anything we say with our legal team before we publish anything because we want to make sure that any information we give about a product recommendations we're incredibly mm. conservative mm-hmm. uh, we're very cautious we're conservative we don't say things that aren't proven or that are vague or that promise things that haven't been tested so we're re- and there are things especially on tiktok that are amazing it's amazing to us the sort of recommendations and the people who are considered authority on a channel like tiktok that really aren't and that's where i think tiktok can be a little dangerous again mm-hmm. going back to manipulation of views or trends by people who really have no authority or shouldn't be or even legally shouldn't be saying certain things and that's where sometimes it gets hard hard for us you know we we adhere to the rules we're very cautious tiktok appeals to a certain customer so we want to have fun on the platform it's a great fun platform but there are a lot of people out there that are just saying things that aren't true for it within the health and wellness Mm -hmm. space but don't you think that's true for even an Instagram Reels or a YouTube? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, I see it. I, I yes, I see it more aggressive on TikTok, okay. and maybe it's the formatting. Reels is very similar now to TikTok in some ways. I don't find and it as addictive, though. I don't find Reels as addictive. It's not. We are having great success on YouTube with some of the YouTube shorts. I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> yeah, I, lo- I love YouTube shorts because YouTube is a great, it's a huge platform. It's so powerful. It's connected to Google. So we can do things within YouTube, like we can go do some shorts and then retarget with display ads against that customer. So there's there's really wonderful things that we can do to create efficiency and kind of connect advertising that we can't do in other places through kind of the the Google ecosystem, which I love. And we're seeing great success with shorts. Also, once again, YouTube is a search engine. Mm -hmm. It's it's an entertainment engine. It's all of these things. And we find it really powerful. Yeah, it's it's an incredible plot that that could definitely survive on its own without Google involved, because it I don't think Absolutely. people realize that, that YouTube by itself is such, is the second largest search engine. They don't you know realize it's they huge. forget that it's a social platform as well. And it's a streaming platform. Now with the shorts thing, I think the shorts thing was a really smart thing for them to do, especially at this juncture where nobody really knows what's going to happen with TikTok next to kind of set Very themselves smart. up and, and start to pull pe- pull people over. So you talked a little bit about reputation management because that's something in our hypersensitive culture, you know, a brand can get into a bind. So you've got a reputation department, but do they work with marketing or how do you work? Because oh, yeah. Me, they're not separate anymore. Yeah, very closely. I don't oversee our PR function, but we work seamlessly together. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter. And reputation of a brand or how a brand gets positioned and expressed is so critical to what I do that we were, we're very close together. Even anytime I do a podcast like this one, or I'm speaking engagement, I always get the, our our PR team involved because I want to make sure I'm representing our brand in the best way possible. And there's nothing that they don't want me to talk about, which usually there's not, but you just never know. So they're really great and critical partners. I still am a strong believer in the power of earned media me um, <laughs> and the value and how critical. I, I, I don't know if everyone is anymore. I think there's always been a, a question around PR, but having worked within PR, a PR agency, and then 
looked at the the value of relationships that PR can build, the value of earned media. It's so important to to the ecosystem of marketing that I'm a big a big fan. Still, no, no, I am too. You know, I think it, an unrelated example is that video with, and I can never, I should be able to pronounce his name because he's Greek, but the basketball player, the Greek freak, what he, his comments that he made when people were asking him if he, if he had failed because he didn't didn't win. And it's just so, I want my students to see it because it's so powerful. And yet that's something that happened organically. And when you think about it, to me, it does a lot for his reputation. It really solidifies who he is as well. And not that he did it with any intention. I think he was just really annoyed at the question that he got from the I press. I would agree. There have been some, who was that soccer player during, I think it was the Olympics, the American soccer player who got a very difficult question mm-hmm. about being a black soccer player playing for a U.S. team. And I think this might have been an Iranian journalist or a Middle Eastern journalist who asked a very difficult question. I, I thought, wow, he handled it so well. I'm not sure, this young man, I don't think I would have done such a good job, but whoever prepared him for that media <laughs> training he must have gotten, I'm assuming, amazing because he did such a good job. These athletes are also great. I know my son will see that uh, that recent. Gee, the Greek I, I, I should know. I should know his name because I am Greek, but I can't. Like it's. Gina. I can't either. But I. I, I well, I'll put I, it in the show notes for those who those yeah. who want to check out. But but and again, sure, that's yes, something. Yeah. That's something that in a previous a world without social media would make it on the news for a little bit, and then it's done. And now it's shareable everywhere. On, Every every social network you go to, you just Google it. You know, Google his name into. Once I can remember what it is, the Greek freak. I think will do it, and I can get the whole video from YouTube. That's the positive social is you you know yeah. great content mm-hmm. having is at your fingertips in a way it's never never was before. The bad stuff is kind of what I was talking about, where there's there's not really clear. Nobody's checking the content mm-hmm. readily, and we've seen this as an issue in politics. I see it as an issue in, in my category as well. Nobody's checking what people are saying. So there's so much misinformation on these platforms. And there's always the conversation around what's their accountability for that misinformation. And I don't think that's really clear cut yet. You know, it's not, the, it's not the, that's, the laws that's, that we have in place. No, because we don't have enough laws in place. And now the way the laws are rolling out, it's this patchwork quilt in the U.S., I had to do an article on this for Media Village, and it's like California's one set of rules. Virginia's going to have another. Colorado's got another. It's like, can we all get on the same? And they're not all meshing with what the EU has, and yet most of these platforms are global platforms. So you've got that coming into play. You know, one of the things that you said before that I found interesting, and it didn't really occur to me, is that you have to, because it's a health and wellness company, you have to adhere to stuff the way a financial services or a you know straight up pharmaceutical company would in terms of not being act being able to react as quickly and as as much in real time. Am I correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we with some things we can. You know, there's not every product we sell is serious. Some of them are just drinks and things like that. So there's things we can do very quickly and have fun. And with other things, when we're making claims, usually we have our regulatory group that looks at all of our claims, anything we say to make sure that we are adhering to what we can say to customers. And we're, again, we're very conservative. One of our uh, pillars, you know, our pillars are quality, expertise, and innovation. 
And on the quality and expertise, that means we have to be trusted. People really have to trust us with what we say, that what we're saying is effective or as effective as we can say it is. We really do try. And even the brands that we bring in, we we, we double test them. We make sure we test the products, that what they say is in it is actually in it. We do a lot of testing, even on our third-party brands, because when we want people to think about us as a quality a, a retailer that promotes quality and expertise, that means we have to do our due diligence too on behalf of our customers. So it's a really big deal for us. We're super careful, but that doesn't mean that we can't have fun. When we launched Prime, which is a, I don't know if you know Prime, the drink, it's a hydration drink and now an energy drink. It's it's a really fun drink. Logan Paul is one of the in case oh, wow. KSI is one of the, the influencers or um, two investors. And it, it's such a fun kids love the brand. It's fun. You know, we don't have to be so serious. We had a video early on with Logan walking into a vitamin shop and a kid saw his kid. This was all organic. Kids saw him come in. He was standing in front of the prime bottles and had like freaked out. And that was a, a pure organic video. He just happened to walk in. Wow. We got it on film and it's had millions and millions, maybe a hundred, like millions of views. It's crazy. <laughs> so we can have fun. You know, we can absolutely have fun still. I think it was on TikTok. If I remember, but it could have been YouTube. We can still have a lot of fun with what we sell and how we mm-hmm. communicate and, you know, the engagement we have with our customers. But when it comes to saying to somebody, and this is what it does for you, that's where we really make sure that we're being honest about what does it do for you? Should you, you know, should you be taking and drinking mm-hmm. this much caffeine or anything else? The the people that work in our stores are trained and highly educated so that if somebody walks in and they have, they have no idea which supplement to take, they can a- actually answer the question um, or get back to them. If they're not, you know, we, we really believe in that quality piece. Yeah. And not just from the regulatory standpoint, but also from trust, which is just such a difficult thing to yeah. create anymore. You know, it's, nobody trusts anybody. And although brands do do a better job than than the media and government, apparently, according to the trust, the trust indexes, which is yeah. kind of funny, which yeah. is really kind of strange. So what do you think brands get wrong about using social media? I would say just that what the mistakes I've seen are when brands don't adhere to that trust barometer idea and, and say things that are too far, putting all of their eggs in social media. I think social media is one or, or even influencers. They have a role, but they're not all of the role with your customers mm-hmm. to build loyalty. There's a little bit of lack of believability sometimes when you have things on social and you're paying an influencer to do things. I think sometimes overly investing, I I sometimes see brands invest in really expensive influencers or actors, and it just feels more like a, let's buy them for a minute to talk, you know, to hold a can, I'm holding my vintage (laughs) seltzer, to hold a vintage seltzer can and talk about pretend, you know, it's just, it's not very authentic. So that authenticity, sometimes I don't think brands always get it right. Sometimes they do. It really depends on how how it comes to life. But those are some of the areas where I think they can get it wrong in in kind of how they build their campaigns or structure their campaigns. There you go. And what do you think the future has in store? This is a loaded question. Who made this question up? Oh, it was me. What do you think the future <laughs> has in store for social media? I think social will continue to be a viable platform. I do wonder if 
the laws will change. There's been a lot of conversations about holding platforms accountable and treating them more like media. And I think some of them should be Mm -hmm. treated more like media companies where there's more accountability. So I'm curious to see how social platforms would divide into entertainment versus media. And if maybe there's both and what laws will be put in place to protect consumers. That, that I think is coming. I think those conversations are going to continue. It's going to be interesting mm-hmm. as we're soon heading into another heated presidential election. What happens as we get into this one? I think there's a, there's the, the laws and regulations are really the, what I'm watching most. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we talked about data on TikTok and foreign government having so much influence on our consumers, what they're hundreds of millions of U.S. consumers on that Mm -hmm. platform. So that's where I I have a lot of curiosity about where it's going. And I I also do wonder, although Metaverse hasn't really taken off in a way that people expect, because I think it's very hard, not very accessible in our Mm day-to-day. But I do think over time, this convergence of reality and virtual will continue to break walls. And that will be another way I think people get involved in these social now, we're kind of a little bit what Facebook was thinking of, but it's way too early, way too I believe. Early. Way, way too early. But at some point, I do see that as a as an area of convergence where you and I could be sitting in a room together talking about a podcast and, you know, our audiences around us or something like that. It's, and it's all virtual. Like, I, I do see that as a as a future state, but it's way in the future because the access to those tools and how you how easily you'll be able to get in and the devices and right now I'm sitting here with you and I've got my headset on and at the end of this will be like get this thing off my head yeah. I don't want it on my head anymore so I yeah. think the devices have have a play in that too that's in, that's really interesting and, I, and I, I, I the other thing I will say about you know what COVID taught us is people really do love to be people. with each other physically mm-hmm. they like we're noticing from a retail side people are coming back into our stores they want to go into a store, have a physical connection, look at the products. So the role of this idea that, you know, I think everybody thought, oh, now everything is going to be digital. We're only going to shop and, you know, all of our conversions, it's wrong because we sort of miscounted the fact that we're physical humans and we need that physical connection. That's so important to us. And post-COVID has really shown that out. So I think the role of that is going to be interesting as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, how that all evolves will be, I'm really curious. Well, and I, I'm sure you have data on this, but, you know, from, I'm not sitting in front of the data. If I go into a physical location to buy something, I am much more likely to spend more money than I will if I just go to that website because I'm very directed. Well, I'm here to buy X, Y, and Z. But if I go into a store, I may get three other things because I just happen to see them and not necessarily were coming through what the algorithms were suggesting what I wanted, because sometimes they're right and sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're not I, telling me what I don't know that I did that I was going to like. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's funny. It, it depends. I would depends. say that scenario. It depends. AOVs on web sometimes tend to be higher because you're filling a basket and there's other costs embedded in there. So we, we actually see really high average order values from a website. But if you're doing something like I'm buying a line and picking up in store, you will most likely add something to your basket. 
what skews the numbers for us in store. And so it depends also your, on your category, which is why I said depends. You may come in and just want a drink and that sometimes can skew down your average order value if I'm only buying, coming in, buying uh-huh. a $12 drink that really changes or a bar and a drink that changes that store behavior or, or how we look at the average order value of the store. So it, it kind of depends on the role yeah. uh, between the web and, and store. Yeah. And I think the AI aspect is going to affect social media to a degree too. Also yes. with this, the spread of misinformation and disinformation, although I do see a place for AI, I can see where there are benefits to it, but it is again, scary and needs, reg- in my opinion, needs regulation. I think what AI will do for brands that will show up in social in the near term is just allow us to create content quick, more quickly. Mm-hmm. The proliferation of content for brands where you're not reliant on humans necessarily to rapidly generate content is means as a brand, I can get out there faster. I can start targeting better. I can have an algorithm think through what's appropriate. We're already doing some of these things, turning on machine learning and some of our, our platforms to help us understand when, where, what. So it, it will accelerate the content that's on this platform and hopefully will also make it better for me to know, should I give you a piece of content you care? Cause I'd rather pay for somebody clicking through or looking at a piece of an impression for somebody who cares than not. So, so those, I think that's, that's what will be in the near term. Very interesting about what AI will affect immediately. Obviously it's going to affect everything we do and our jobs are going to change tremendously because especially in marketing because of AI oh, yeah. uh, and there's, yeah. there will be things AI is only as good as the content. So if the content's not good or right back to disinformation, the content's not right or it's not accurate and there's nobody checking, then even AI will only spit back false truths, right? Cause it's only as good as what, so you still need legal regulatory, everybody checking, is this actually accurate? Because even if I ask AI to create content off of what it sees on TikTok, or if, if that's possible, I would have to make sure it's accurate because disinformation is going to be the biggest challenge, I think, with, with AI. Well, I think disinformation is, I mean, I will be very honest. I've been starting to put questions in before I do a podcast interview. I didn't like all the questions they gave me for this one, but it was, you know, it breaks creative block. But the other part of this, yeah. and that's the part that scares me, is the fake images that can go out there. Like I had a, a a fantastic presentation by one of my students last week, a couple of weeks ago, and they did their project on Chanel and using mid journey, they were able to create these incredible slides that had Coco Chanel and Karl Lagerfeld in the same picture. Wow. Which of course, scary. Was like crazy, right? A crazy, scary, yeah. but just beautifully done. Like, I'm like, how did you do that? And then they said they use mid journey, which I have not used myself yet, but now of course I have to give that one a shot too, because I am a little in, intrigued with all of this. So what advice would you give to a new brand that was just starting to use social media? I, I think there's foundation, like set up your foundation. Who do you want to be? What's your voice? What do you, what's the basics? You know, the basics are always in marketing. The basics really matter. So all of those basics that people don't just jump on and just do because it can get messy um, so set up your basics so that your team can have fun. And, you know, that's the great thing about creative teams. They have fun, do really clever things. We had one of our, we launched a, a flavor, a protein flavor using peeps. And we had one of our, the social team, they dressed up in a peep and they did a whole piece of content 
And it was just so much fun and clever, but we couldn't have done all of those things without deciding the brand, you know, what is our brand strategy? How do we want to show up? What are things that matter to our customers? What works most? And what are the, what are the do's and don'ts across our platforms and what matters in the platform itself? What works on one platform and not work as well as on another. So, so all of those foundational things are really important so that your team can have fun and not worry about other things. Wonderful. Okay. Well, I'd like to finish up with a little lightning round of questions. Oh, okay. I did not do this on episode number 11 way back. No, you didn't. I have, I have been doing it. So okay. you're, if you're, oh my goodness, this is going to be tough. If you had to pick your favorite social network, what would it be? I really love Reddit. Ah, you know, I have to spend more time on Reddit. I have to I've spend more time. I've fallen back in love with Reddit. I find they've done a really good job with quality, fact-checking. They were kind of a little bit of the wild west and now they've really come around and that's it's become a, a new favorite of mine. A lot of people have been saying that. Something people would never guess about you. I'm Italian. I was born in Italy. I don't most people when I tell them that are like, really? <laughs> I speak a lot of languages too. So that's, that's another thing. <laughs> but the last series you binged. Perry Mason. Really well done. I like escapist things, so things that don't. So succession's a bit hard. It's too close to home. It feels like I'm in an office. But Perry Mason is fun. It's really well done. The actors are great. I'm very much enjoying it. So that's a good one. Last book you read? I just added this one because I don't know who's reading anymore, but I am. But last book you read? I forgot the name. I actually added this. I had to look it up. I read a book about the biomes and I don't remember the name. I know it sounds very geeky. And I usually do audio, so I listen to things because I'm a little ADHD, so audio works better for me. I and mean, it's all about your biomes and the influence they have across your body. So I'll have to get back to you on the name of the book because I, I have it to does, look it up. It does sound a little geeky. It's, but... it's really good. <laughs> health, health and wellness, but biomes have such a huge impact on your health, your mental really? health, your well. Oh, yes. They do so much. So, so that's okay. I'll send you, I'll send you the, the link. So you can send me it. the link and I'll put that in the show notes for those people who are interested. Uh, a food you can't live without? Chocolate. Yeah, me can't too. live without chocolate every day. Me too. I need a square, a square of chocolate. It makes me <laughs> very happy. If it's a particularly stressful day, it's more than a square for me. What motivates you to get up in the morning? I love mornings. I'm a morning person and I have a ton of energy and I have a dog. So my dog motivates me. We go out every morning. I walk him for 45 minutes. It's the best time of my day. I listen to a lot of news and things as I'm walking him and rain, shine, beautiful weather, whatever. It's, it's, it's the best. Taking a walk first thing before I've even eaten breakfast is the best thing I can do every day. I love that. I love that. So if people want to find you, where would be best to follow you? Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm pretty private on social these days. So LinkedIn is a great place or Nadina Guillomedi at vitaminshop.com is also for those who are curious also around. Okay, well, thank you so much, my dear. This has been thank terrific. Thank you. I appreciate it, Joanne. Always great to talk to you. Thanks so much for listening to Marketing Mindfulness and Martinis. If you liked what you heard, please share with your friends. Give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify so other people can find us and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. If you've got a question you'd like answered or a topic you'd like me to cover, please drop me a note. Info at joannetombrakis.com. And until next time, remember... 
whatever got you to where you are isn't enough to keep you there.